Nada. Uber up the styles like miles and shit. Like 60 funky words with waves and puns. Just sending jumpy rhythms right down your block. We beat to rap what key beat to lock, but we beat to rap what key beat to lock. We beat, we beat to rap what key beat to lock, but we beat to rap what key beat to lock, but we beat to rap. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Moose Gums Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. A friendly reminder, all views and opinions that are stated on the episode are strictly um, of the artist and not necessarily of myself or Moose Gums. I am so excited to introduce our artist for episode three. Today we'll be talking to Stephen Von Frankenstein. Stephen is a body piercer at Barbella Studios located in Costa Mesa, California. I myself have gotten uh, piercings by Stephen and his work is incredible. His work is absolutely incredible and the reason why I wanted to bring him on here was because Stephen, not your run-of-the-mill body piercer. Um, as soon as I come into Barbella Studios, I am surrounded by incredible paintings on the wall. There's um, collections of art and books on the coffee table and on the shelves, and I uh, curiously rummage through all this artwork, and I'm just mind-blown. And come to find out Steven is the artist behind a lot of these works and um, as I was getting my piercings by Steven he explained to me um, you know his passion for body piercing and anyways I'm excited to introduce you to Steven so with further ado um, let's jump right into it how's that yes I can hear you now hey <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? You know what? All things considered, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm still on this side of the earth and, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm eating and I'm paying my bills, so I'm doing okay. Hell yeah. Uh, thanks for sitting down with me today um, and I'm being, sure. like, super, super open to this process. Um, this is my third episode, so um, still finding the hang of things and... Uh, but I don't know if you're able to kind of look into what Moose Gums podcast is all about. So um, I'll just kind of give you, it's really simple. I like to leave it broad. It's the artist behind the art. Um, okay. So it leaves you a lot of room. I want to, I want to get to know you, Stephen Von Frankenstein as an artist. Like where did this all begin? Um, well, you know, I am very fortunate in that I come from a pretty artistic family, you know, uh, one way or the other, you know, uh, while we do have a lot of visual artists, you know, people who draw, people who paint, you know, we also have musicians in my family, we have people who even just are exceptionally good at things like decorating or gift wrapping or something, you know, there's a little mm -hmm. bit of that everywhere. And so that was something that was uh, kind of encouraged, um, you know, it was, uh, my grandfather did a lot of art, you know, he drew all the time and he was also the type of person who, 
you know, he never called an electrician or a plumber, you know, he did all these things himself. So he was very handy, you know? And so like, while he did draw well, he was also a tinkerer, you know, he used to rebuild watches and clocks. Uh, he got into doing bicycles for a while. You know, he was always doing something with his hands and, um, he was a huge influence on me. And I, I, so I kind of picked up a lot of that, you know, I, I've always been that way too. And even though I do draw and I paint and I pierce and I do all these things, like, uh, you know, it all kind of flows together. If that makes you know any sense. Um, totally. You know, I, it was really surprising to me when I got out in the world and realized not everybody was familiar with these abilities. You know, mm -hmm. I remember, somebody trying to explain something to me once and they were having a hard time getting the words. And I said, well, just, just draw me a quick picture of what it is. And they're like, I don't know how to draw, you know? I'm like, well, what do you mean you don't know how to draw? Like, I don't need a, a Sistine Chapel ceiling. Draw me a stick figure, you know? And they just couldn't figure it out. And it, just because their brain doesn't work that way. So it took me a while to kind of understand that there are a lot of people out there that just don't function in that capacity. But I don't know. It's It's been around all my life. I, I can't remember all time when I wasn't, drawing or building something or you know whatever uh, i'm a huge fan of uh, other art forms you know i'm a huge music nerd and, and a movie nerd too and um you know over the years i've dabbled in things like acting and singing and other stuff too but um i don't know i'd say where it begin like at the beginning you know i have drawings in my possession that i did when i was seven years old you know and so i don't know it's just kind of always been there cool um you know, you touched on a lot of really, really interesting points. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with other artists I've talked to, um, it sound, it, the, the concept of art as a way to communicate feelings is something that's been uh, brought up. But with you, mm -hmm. it's like, it sounds like art was a way to almost connect within your family. And you know, build upon relationships and, um, you, you know, I suppose I feel like I agree with you completely about, you know, art being an excellent way to communicate. I think that, that that's kind of the core of what it is. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think families as a rule have times when they have a hard time understanding each other and communicating. And, and, you know, I think that even, when you have a family like mine that is generally very accepting and, and encouraging of my artistic uh, sensibilities, there were definitely times when, you know, I would go, I wouldn't say too far, but there were things that I'm like, this is this crazy thing that I'm doing. And they're like, I don't get this, you know? <laughs> it's, so I think that even when you have a family that is encouraging of this type of mentality, you're still going to have communication breakdowns, you know, mm. it's going to happen. Um, you know, but I don't know. I, I think that my family does kind of communicate that way. But at the same time, I don't think they see themselves as this like artist commune. You know what I mean? They're mm -hmm. not really that way. Like, I feel like I've painted this picture of these people that sit around and flowy <laughs> flowered pants and long hair and, you know, and sitting in a field talking about, you know, like hippie earth stuff, you know, and they're not really like that, you know, I mean, when we get together, it's a bunch of loud brown people, you know, gabbing and gossiping, you know, just like everybody else. But, um, Did you I guess what I'm saying is they, they, I'm lucky in that they kind of get it even if they don't practice, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, 
did you grow up in Southern California or? I did. I did. I was born in Norwalk. Uh, yeah, I lived, I, you know, and, uh, grew up kind of in Norwalk Downey area. Um, my grandparents had a house in Downey and, uh, I spent a lot of time there. My other grandmother, my dad's mom lived in Hawthorne. So I spent a lot of time there as well. So all kind of in the, you know, that area, uh, it's, you know, LA County, but not necessarily Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, I always often and half jokingly say, you know, uh, suburbs of LA neighborhoods, you don't want to be in, in the middle of the night, you know, like yeah. uh, that's the kind of stuff that we have. We had a lot of, you know, issues with, you know, uh, gunfire and, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, break-ins and things like that. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I've been here my whole time, my family, uh, my immediate family up and moved to Orange County when I was, uh, in high school. Uh, and, uh, it was, it was a, bit of a shocker I didn't have any experience with Orange County and I was worried about a lot of things but I suppose when you're a teenager that's your job um, but I've been in Orange County ever since and I find it works for me it's one of those things where I feel like Orange County is urban enough to where if I want a burrito at two in the morning I will find one <laughs> but it's quiet enough where I can get some sleep you know what I mean it's, it's kind of happy medium and, yeah. you know so yeah um, you mentioned you're te- running into some, you know, we do struggle as teenagers and, uh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't really have a lot of issues personally. Like I was a pretty good kid, you know, I was, uh, I don't know. I feel like part of it was I was in a situation where I'm the oldest of four children. Um, my mother was essentially a single mom. My dad was kind of in and out of the picture. Um, you know, he had his own issues, but, um, I think that being the oldest of four and my mom being a fairly young mom, you know, I think she was 21 when she gave birth to me. Um, I think that you kind of assume this role and it's kind of like this amalgam of like brother, son, friend, partner, dad thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of that, I felt like I always felt this kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say responsibility, but this duty to, you know, keep my siblings, you know, safe and, and help my mom and be responsible that way. And so I think that helped me kind of avoid staying out of trouble, you know? I mean, you do little things your mom wouldn't really like, but, like, at the same time, I never had an issue with, you know, I was fortunate enough not to have any issues with addiction or, you know, uh, in trouble with the police or any of those kinds of things, you know? Yeah. Um, earlier you mentioned there were, there's been pieces that kind of had, well, this is what I understood, some shock value behind it. Um, you mentioned something like your family would be like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, I totally, Mm, I totally related to that. Um, Mm -hmm. can you talk about some of those, um, projects that might? Sure. I don't know. I think that, you know, my mother, who is incredibly understanding, you know, with all of my weird stuff that I was doing, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, when I was very young, she noticed very early that I wasn't a kid that wanted to go to sleep. You know, I was up all night long and, you know, she worried about me you know, being healthy and all these things. I remember even seeing a doctor you know, by the time I was like six or seven years old because she was concerned because I wasn't sleeping. You know, and it turned out it, I wasn't doing anything. I was just, you know, daydreaming about Star Wars or whatever it was. But um, so that took her a while to kind of acclimate to the fact that she had this son who kind of just did his own thing. You know, um, 
Uh, I never did well in school. I was uh, what they called a very intelligent but very unmotivated child. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I just never did my work, you know, and these teachers would come down on my mom, like, you know, we got to make him do this stuff. My Mm -hmm. mom's like, I don't know what else to do. Mm -hmm. I've tried everything, you know. So that was rough for her. But as far as like, you know, uh, the other stuff, like the, you know, jaw dropping kind of things, I suppose, you know, if that's what you're getting at, like, uh, somewhere around the mid nineties, I joined up with a local, uh, Rocky horror picture show troupe. And mm. I, at the time we're talking mid nineties. So, you know, things like gay rights and all that stuff were really kind of starting to come into fruition. You know what I mean? Yeah. And homosexual lifestyle was thing, you know, something that people weren't necessarily hiding behind as much more and more people were coming out and it was a really awesome time. But my mom had like no experience really with, uh, you know, with gay people or trans people. Mm-hmm. And although she was not the type of person to be bigoted, you know, and rude to people like that. She, it was more, you know, you fear what you don't know, you know? And so here she has this son who has been bullied his whole life for being this weird, mouthy, scrawny kid, you know, Mm -hmm. and now he's going to hang out with a bunch of homos, you know, and do God knows what with God knows who deep in, you know, the heart of Long Beach, you know, He's going to get murdered, you know, and it was a really interesting thing because, you know, that was hard enough for her. But then my my aunts and, you know, other members of my family were even farther behind on that stuff and had less communication with me about it. And so they were really freaking out. And you could see they were trying to be supportive, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you could tell it was harder for them to understand and accept that, you know, their nephew was now trotting around in a corset, heels and panties, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it turned out to be a really awesome thing. And I did it for many years. I think I, you know, I must have performed with that group for at least seven or eight years. And, you know, my mom eventually made it to the show one night oh. for my retirement. So, you know, that was helpful. Um, That's awesome. Other things, uh, you know, uh, later in my life, I got involved in uh, dabbling in uh, photography, mostly photo manipulation. Um, mm-hmm. But most of my work was uh, nude. And it was like, um, you know, I was doing this kind of, uh, I don't want to say pinup. You know, there was a lot of that going on at the time. We're talking about like 2008. 2009 somewhere in that neighborhood but i was doing more like these nude models and these like kind of horrific situations a lot of gore and you know malformed kind of horror material you know and you know my mom understands art she's an art lover she you know she's an artist herself but you know i feel like there's like showing somebody like uh you know uh Again, referring to Sistine Chapel, this beautiful scene with there are nudes there, but it's, you know, it's a certain type of nude versus like a naked lady that's holding, a, a you know, a, a dismembered head in one hand and a hatchet in the other, you know, and then yeah. she's standing there naked. Like, is that the same kind of thing? You know, so that was definitely something I had to kind of get through, too. But hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like the shock never lasts very long. And I've been very fortunate in that they haven't been my family's been generally pretty supportive most of the time. Um, you know, touching on gore and, mm-hmm. you know, I, myself as a painter, drawer, you know, just creative in general, you know, I've dabbled in, you know, 
sketching some, mm-hmm. you know, darker content. And mm-hmm. let's, I, just for my own purpose, let's kind of like explore that. Where do you think that comes? Is it, do you have artists you look up to that, um, that kind of, where does your inspiration for the, like dark art come from? I think the inspiration for my art in general, first of all, I always tell people it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bug in the corner. There's a, you know, there's a guy standing on the corner that looks kind of weird. You know, like there's always something. But um, I grew up watching a lot of old, old Hollywood. My mom was a huge fan of movies. And so we watched a lot of like really old cinema, like silent films, things like that. I watched, you know, most half of my life was in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um and when I was a kid, you know, cable television was a brand new thing and very few people had it. Certainly the ones that did were people who could afford that kind of a service. So if you wanted to see, say, uh, you know, Frankenstein from 1931 or the, you know, uh, 1929 Dracula or whatever, mm-hmm. you had to wait till it came on television. And in most cases, those movies wouldn't come on TV until like two in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I would be up all night you know, even before I was 10 years old, sitting there with my eyes glued to the television, you know, in the middle of the night waiting for these monsters to come out, <laughs> you know, and I don't know, I just really latched onto those creatures. I feel, you know, and I'm talking to those classic monsters, the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, all these things. And I think part of it for me was, even though I was a huge comic book nerd and I loved the Hulk and I loved Spider-Man and I was a big Superman fan, to me, these monsters weren't any different. You know, they were fictional characters that had superpowers. Mm-hmm. They just seemed to be more tragic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know. I've always really latched onto them. I love drawing monsters. I, I think that even though I've done a lot of these, like, again, these, these nudes with these, these models and other things, and I've drawn a lot of stuff, it always comes back to monsters for me. And I think that it's because no matter what, there's always a new monster to draw. You know, you, you're making them up. So if they have two eyeballs or one mm-hmm. eyelid, or fuck, or like sixteen legs. It doesn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. So the inspiration is everywhere, you know. Like I'm right now, I'm looking at this. There's a bottle of like a deodorant package mm-hmm. in front of me, and like you could totally turn that into something. So I think, you know, yeah. if you have the cre- you just let the creativity loose. It's like tentacles. It'll grab something, mm-hmm. you know. So it's hard to say. I, you know, I was a, I'm a big fan of animation. Um, and, uh, you know, traditional animation. And I, I grew up watching uh, Looney Tunes and stuff like that. And so I think that if you look at my monsters or my creatures that I paint, there's a lot of this mix of like, yes, this is horror based, but it's kind of cute mm-hmm. or it's kind of funny at the same time. You know, like I have a big love for a mixture of horror and, and comedy. I can appreciate like that super awful, scary, I don't want to go to bed horror. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. But most of the time, for talking my favorite monster movies, there's some funny parts in there. You know. Mm-hmm. But I think that if you're asking me where the inspiration comes from, yes, it's everywhere. But I think that those things, those old school monster movies, Muppets also were a huge influence in my life. I know it's kind of funny, but again, that's that juxtaposition. You know. Yeah. And Muppets, Muppets can be terrifying too when they want to be. <laughs> so. It's true. Um. Yeah. I. I. I'm really resonating with um, not so much the old school horror, but that's 
what you're saying is how I feel about Tim Burton. Um, oh, yeah, I love Tim Burton, you know, and the thing about Tim is that, like, while he is older than I am, you know, like, Tim and I are, say, closer in age than, say, you and Tim are, mm-hmm. and so a lot of Tim's inspirations for, like, artists that he liked or artists that he was uh, replicating you know, we mm-hmm. had the same influences, you know, I've right. seen a lot of his drawings he did in high school. And I'm like, this looks like the stuff I drew in mm-hmm. high school, you know, yeah. like uh, a lot of children's book authors that we both love, like Maury Sendak and Dr. Seuss, you know, Mercer Mayer, yeah. these guys, they could really whip a pen, you know, and yeah. they would create the most amazing things. And so I think that's a lot of my inspiration too, was, you know, I've read a lot of Shel Silverstein as a kid too, and his illustrations are just fantastic. Um, but I was also lucky enough to where, you know, I had a mom that really loved art. And so she always had was checking out these books in the library all the mm-hmm. time of all these famous paintings that I never thought I'd get to see. And then, you know, you pick out a few that you really did. You know, like, yeah. I, I understand that, you know, Matisse is very talented at what he does, but it's not really my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you look at Goya and you're like, wow, this guy draws some really messed up stuff, <laughs> you know. And, you know, it, it's the way it works. Or Van Gogh, you know, painted some really happy stuff, but there, you can see his, like, I don't know, personally, maybe I'm crazy. I feel if you look at Van Gogh, even though he's painting sunflowers and fields, like you can see his emotional struggle. Like I feel like he went through so much pain in his life in that short amount of time. And I feel like it really shows in that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think he was an influence on Burton too. I mean, look at Starry Night and tell me that Tim Burton didn't like that painting, you know? Now that I'm thinking about it, I never even made that correlation, but yeah, yeah, I see it. Curly stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason I wanted to, you know, this, this is, I just got that feeling, you know, I walked into Barbella Studios to get <clears throat> my ear pierced a few years ago, and um, I walked in and I saw this uh, painting on the wall. I, I seen it before, and I, I just really resonated with it. It's that, um... I think she has like a crown of some sort on her head. She's a mist, like just beautiful woman. It's a painting. I think her skin is either green or blue. Oh yeah, yeah, it's still up. Oh, I, I, I just want to say that's an incredible. I love that painting. But um, thank you. I go in and I, I get my ear pierced by you, and um, you know, you're talking about your work in a way where I know that this isn't just um, your work. It's a lifestyle for you, and. Mm. Um, Indeed. So we covered photography, a bit of a bit of your photography. We've covered a little bit of your backstory. Um, how did piercing come around? So I I often say that as a career, I feel like piercing picked me more than I picked it, and I don't mean that to sound negative in the slightest because it's not. I love what I do; it's amazing, mm-hmm. but it's not something that I ever would have thought I could have done even meagerly as a successful endeavor compared to what I am actually doing. It it still blows my mind sometimes. Um, Now, I think that one of the big differences between myself and, uh, you know, a lot of the people that are, that I'm piercing, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but like to give you a ballpark. So I'm 47 years old and I'm going to be 48 before the month is out. And so I didn't grow up with piercing, you know, it wasn't really a thing. You know, we would see little things here and there, but it wasn't like it is now. You know, I pierce kids 
who have been surrounded by modified humans their whole life, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I got into piercing as a, you know, as a person who wore piercings, not as a piercer, you know, and I started kind of delving into that realm, you know, thinking about getting tattooed and all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that was as huge as it is now. I, you know, I got my first tattoo when I was about 25, I think, 23, somewhere in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was November of 1995. That's when I was, I was about 23. And I was like one of the only people that I was friends with that had the tattoo, you know? Um, my grandfather had tons of them, hmm. you know, which, you know, was interesting. And, he had, and they were all down his arms. There was no hiding them, you know, and they were all naked ladies. It was like hmm. topless mermaid, topless hula girl, you know? Hmm. But, um, you know, it wasn't something that was really in our culture quite yet, at least the way it is now, you know? Uh, so piercing kind of was coming up in the nineties and it was kind of getting to that point where it was getting more and more popular. You were seeing more people with stuff in their eyebrows and their lips. And it was all that hardcore, like big steel stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I got a few piercings cause you know, it was interesting to me. I think that I wasn't doing permanent stuff like piercings and tattooing, but you know, my whole life that I can remember back, I was constantly like changing my hair or building my own clothes or, you know, drawing tattoos on my body when I was even a little kid, you know, because I was trying to create something, you know, I didn't know what I was constantly reinventing myself, you know, it was just the way I I was. And so I felt like the tattooing and the piercing was just an extension of that, you know? Yeah. Um, so what happened was, and I, believe me, I'm trying to keep this story short. So we have time. I, we have time. <laughs> I I was getting pierced and tattooed at this local place in Huntington Beach, and I um I met this piercer there, and he was super charming and funny and handsome and like clearly just love the hell out of his job. You know, Mm -hmm. he was a super nice guy. He was always welcoming. And like me, you know, growing up as this skinny, weird, artsy nerd kid, like I had a lot of friends, but I always felt like I could never be cool. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And here was this guy who was like the epitome of cool. who was just treating me like a friend, you know? Yeah. And uh, he was just a super cool guy. So I took all my friends to him just because he was so cool. And, like, I was, like, excited to be part of this experience with my friends. And, like, look at these cool things you can put in your face, you know. And I remember video recording all of this stuff. Now, again, we're talking about the 90s. So I'm talking full handheld camcorder with a videotape <laughs> inside, you know. And I don't even know why I was doing it. It was just fun, you know. And then yeah. one day... I asked him, I was with a friend there getting pierced, and I asked him, I said, hey, I want to pierce my septum. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. And like I said, at that time, nobody was walking around with this thing, hanging out of their face unless they were like in that hardcore punk scene. Mm-hmm. And he said he'd do it for free because I bought him so much business, which was very sweet of him. So I went back and I had him do it, and I was so excited. And I had no other piercings in my face. You know, I had my ears done, I had my nipples done, I had my tongue done, and that was about it. I had maybe one tattoo at that point. We did the piercing. I took a look at my face in that mirror, and I got this huge, stupid grin on my face. (laughs) And I was so happy to see that. I didn't even know why. It just made me feel so good. And I remember looking, putting that mirror down and looking straight at that guy's face. And I said, okay, how? 
how do I do what you do? Mm-hmm. How do I get to a point where I get to be you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it. And unfortunately, at that point in your life, when you're in your mid-20s, everything is shit and you're barely hanging on to life. So it took a few years before I got to a point where I was comfortable enough and was lucky enough to find a position that I could take on. But I really mark that point as that's where it started. You know, it had a few piercings ready, whatever. But that moment, I was like, I want to make people feel what I'm feeling right now. And that's why septum piercing is my still, to this day, my favorite one to do. Because every one I do, that story goes into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because I think of all the things that I did enjoy about those crappy little Joe jobs that I had, um, you know, but all the things that I liked, like the customer service angle, like the, you know, the, the, the having to think outside the box and the working with your hands, all that stuff's in piercing, mm-hmm. you know, like I get to help people. I get to figure things out. I get to make people pretty, you know, I, mm-hmm. it, it just works. So like you were saying, it is an art. I think it is an extension. If you want to look at it that way, um, it's not just about placement. It's not just about making sure stuff fits. Those things are incredibly important, but I don't know for, me for us here at Barbella, you know, it's an experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that that that's, that's why I love it. You know? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, I think a lot of people can, um, resonate with that feeling that you had when you got that piercing. I know I'm one of those customers, you know? Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, what has been, the best piercing apart from that one with a customer at Barbella, what's been the coolest experience? You know, those kinds of questions are uh, nearly impossible to answer. I mean, you got to consider I've been piercing for 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't know that stuff necessarily sticks out like that, you know, but I will tell you that, you know, one of the greatest joys in my job, is when I get some frustrated, you know, sometimes angry teenager, you know, who finally figures out how to drag their mom in here, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you can help that kid on their journey, even if they never keep that piercing, they, they learn something about themselves or alleviated some tension. and understanding that, you know, you know, this, this awesome trans movement that's happening right now and all this momentum and these kids are now able to understand, wow, I'm not crazy. It's okay to have these feelings, you know, and a large part of my clientele now is these, you know, people in this trans community and being a teenager sucks. Mm -hmm. It's never good. Like it's good for five minutes at a time here and there, you know? And I don't care if you're like a super beautiful blonde teenager or, you know, you're a strong guy, like you're really handsome. It doesn't matter. Like every teenager goes through these awful struggles. Mm -hmm. And if I can help you go, look, I'm going to help you be you for Mm -hmm. a second. You know, I don't know. It really makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I I didn't look, I've been getting piercings since I'm 20, 
six and I'd been getting piercings since I was 11 and I didn't even think about body piercing in that way. But yeah, totally. It, I was an angry teenager and it made me feel yeah. good. That's what I needed at that moment to, um, it's empowering, you know, it is. It is. And it goes the other way. Like I've had, um, clients, I have this one client who I absolutely adore and she is as nondescript and normal a looking average lady in her fifties, as you can imagine. Okay. She does like, you know, real estate or something, yeah. you know, manages a big office. And she came to us one day and she said, so here's the thing, you know, I, when I was young, you know, I grew up with, you know, a lot of friends who were into this punk scene and there are all these girls walking around with these septum piercings. And I always loved that, but I was mm-hmm. always too scared. You know, what would the family think? What, you know, what would happen? How is this? And she kind of hit a point in her life where she's like, she's not going through a crisis. She's not going to suddenly do crazy things. Mm-hmm. But she thought, what if I could just get a septum piercing and I could still keep my look yeah. and I could still keep my job. And I could hide the piercing when I'm at work. So here she was in her 50s, not looking to reclaim anything, but like finally experience something. And it was so awesome to kind of take her on that journey. And she ended up being an awesome regular client for a long time. I still talk to her. And, you know, it was just, it's not just the teens. You know what I mean? Totally. We get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, women who have been through really rough pregnancies. It changes their bodies completely. And, you know, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can do a lot of things like work out and do all this and eat right and change your body, but it's never going to be the same. Yeah. And so, like, sometimes getting your nipples pierced will help you kind of reclaim your body in a way, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, so, Stephen, do you have any projects you're working on? As uh, I think COVID and the situation we're dealing with right now has um, – it's terrible what, what's going mm. on, but – um, I think for a lot of creative minded people, it's been a moment to, um, you know, tap into their creativity and foster some, um, some ideas maybe they've been sitting on or, um, get back into something they were working on. Has there anything been like, have you had any experiences like that since this has happened? I will tell you that I learned a lot about myself with this, this shutdown artistically, And so I think like most people, especially artistically minded people, you know, you're like, okay, well, I can't go to work. I can't go to school. I'm just going to be sitting on my ass. I'm going to have so much time to paint or to write or to do all these things. And I had ideas. I had this painting that I started last year that I never finished. And I thought, I'm going to finish that damn painting. And then I'm going to do all these other things. You know, I was creating a whole new art space in my, my apartment. I was really excited. But one thing that I learned about myself was that my motivation to do anything Mm -hmm. has everything to do with how much I'm already doing. So my, the fact that I wasn't getting up and going to the studio every day, the fact that I wasn't having to run these errands every day and take care of the the shop was really killing my motivation to do anything. Because Mm -hmm. even though I had the time, I became lethargic Mm. and depressed a little bit, you know? Yeah as I think anybody would. And I think that it got to a point when you start going, well, I can just do it tomorrow, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you never get anything done. And I'll be honest with you. I did. I've done very little in the artistic world during this whole shutdown. And I think part of it's because I haven't really been that happy because of it, you know, and I'm okay. You know, I'm not suffering from major depression right now or anything like that, but I feel like it's just, I tend to create when I'm 
really like moving and happy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because all I create is these, these, you know, scary things. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that that, that was really it. So I wish I could tell you, Oh man, I'm working on this piece right now. And, you know, <laughs> it's no. not really that way. So I'm trying to kind of get back on the horse as it were, mm-hmm. you know, and, and find time to just do it a little, little bit and kind of get the muscles back, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I did a couple things, you know, but I wouldn't say this was my COVID painting, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, so like I said, I've got a couple images, but I wouldn't say anything that I would be like, this is my, the piece, this is the one that's going to be my epitaph, you know? Um, and I, you know, I love that you answered that very, um, sincerely and straightforward because that leads into another topic, you know, it's, um, Suicidal Awareness Month, and um, yes. it you touched on depression. I'm so sorry about that. I will edit that out. Um, we touched on depression and those feelings. Um, you know, I know, I'm not saying you have depression. I myself have clinical depression. I take medication for it, but um, what would you tell people... You know, those, I think a lot of people can resonate. It's a hard time. Um, do you have a message for any listeners that might be dealing with um, a little, some depression at the moment? Well, like I said, you know, this whole thing really is, is painful for a lot of people. I think that, you know, don't, don't feel like, you know, you need to be doing anything. I think that that's a major thing. I mm-hmm. think right now everybody says, well, you got all this time. Why aren't you painting? Or you got all this time. Why aren't you focusing on, you know, your studies or whatever it is, you know, and it's not about time. It's about motivation. And mm-hmm. I think that everybody would, anybody who had any kind of sense or love in their life would feel sad and depressed at some point, if not entirely during this whole thing. I I think that it's so easy to just feel like you're crazy or to feel like the world is not worth being around because everything sucks right now. You know, you hear all these things about 2020 is so bad and you know what? It's been a shitty year, but it's the thing about it is it doesn't get better if you don't make an effort to make it better, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it's, I've learned that about myself for sure. You know, like I'm not going to be happy until I find a way to make myself happy. You know, it's not about, you know, uh, painting things or creating things and making my followers happy. And therefore I am worth something. Mm. You know, it's about me creating things and painting things because I want to create these things and that brings worth to me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It's, it's totally, I don't think that, I think that being at a point in your life when things are kind of crumbling and you're sad and you're angry, like everybody's going to go through that. And we're all going through that right now. It really is awful, but you got to remember, it's not just you, you know, like mm-hmm. there are other people struggling. And I think that the other issue is that right now specifically, nobody's allowed to hang out, Yeah, you know, and it makes it harder to be supported, you know, but 
for me, like personally, I always feel a lot better if I can just kind of text somebody, you know, and Mm -hmm. you don't even have to talk about like what's bothering you. Just be like, Hey, did you watch that stupid movie yesterday? Or like, (laughs) here's a stupid meme. Like just to have communication with the outside world, I find it's tremendously important. And I think that if nothing else, that's what's going to help you. Like, that's what gets me through it. I mean, everybody's different and what works for them. But, like, I know for sure that if I have a conversation going with someone or somebody is waiting for me to do something for them, I'm going to have more motivation to get that done. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not a person who contemplates suicide very often. It's Mm -hmm. not a problem that I've had. I'm very lucky that way. Yeah. Um, there were definitely times when I was younger, I think that everybody goes through that. And I, you know, even the most absolutely sane, stable people have had those moments. But I think that the thing that has always gotten me past that point has always been, realistically speaking, what is going to happen to the rest of the world if I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about like, you, know, you can say all day like, oh, nobody likes me. I don't have any friends and all that stuff. But you know, you know that that's not true. Somebody out there cares yeah. enough to where that person's life is going to be affected if you do something tragic like that, you know? Yes. 100%. And I think that that's, that's really the big thing. I, I can't drive out in the middle of nowhere and end my life and assume that my mom isn't going to be upset about it. You know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe nobody will find my body, you know, like I used to think about that. Well, maybe if nobody found the body and nobody knew I actually died, it'd be fine. Well, no, they're still going to be sad because I'm not here anymore. What happened to Steven? Right. You know? And I don't know, man, like I've had clients who didn't make it, you know? And they're clients, but it hurts. It's hard. I miss them. Yeah. You know, and they're not like my mother or my sister, but like you build a relationship with humans, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I mean, seriously guys, like those hotlines are there. Those websites are there. I, my, I don't know about you guys, but like my feed on Instagram, my stories are full of people posting and reposting these, like, call this if you're sad, call this if you're depressed, call this if you're trans and your parents hate you, mm-hmm. you know? So there are resources out there. Yeah. And if you can't find a resource, text anybody. Yeah. Literally anybody. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, that's connection, man. Like, people, somebody loves someone else and, like, you got to remember there's someone out there that loves you. Um, and, uh, yeah. Is there anything you want to, um, anything else you want to touch on? Not really. I mean, you know, I, I would like to think that, you know, if you have listeners and they are, you know, artistically minded people, like, you know, one of the greatest things about art is that, you are the person who decides what is your art and what is not like, you know, don't put it into a box. You know, one of the things in in this conversation that I was, I was actually going to point out was you were talking about what you like to do and you paint and you draw and you do these things. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that people can tell you, I am a painter. I am a sculptor, but if you don't touch paint and you just draw pictures, 
what is the word for that? Drawer is not a word. You know what I mean? <laughs> but this is a thing. Like, I had to start calling myself a painter, and I do paint now. Yeah. But because I was like, I felt like people weren't taking me seriously as somebody who just likes to draw stuff without painting it in. You know? You know, when I started drawing, the stuff that I did mostly was cartoons. You know, I was doing a lot of cartooning, comic strip stuff. And, but I felt like people weren't taking that seriously, you know? Mm. So you're an artist. It doesn't matter if you draw or you paint or you make music or you stand on the corner with a stick and a drum spouting mm -hmm. weird words. Like, you're an artist. And, yes. you know, follow your heart, follow your dream, and don't be afraid to change gears. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, whatever your creation is, that is your art. Mm. You know, look at Marcel Duchamp and his freaking toilet. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Trust me, that will make you feel a lot better. Marcel Duchamp, toilet. Look it up. <laughs> oh, man. So many good messages, Stephen. Um, and, you know, I probably should have asked this earlier. It slipped my mind, but... Um, you do have other hobbies, like you collect records. I do. Records, I do other things. Records, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I do. I have a lot of records, collecting records. It's like, I don't know, it's it's kind of an obsession more than a collection at this point. You know, mm -hmm. it's real estate. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, you know, whenever I've had to move, it's always the hardest thing to move. Mm -hmm. um, and I always have to make sure that, like, I have to go in and measure the space and make sure there's room for the records. It's mm -hmm. like, it's that bad, but yeah, I, I, I have an obsession and I don't know, you never know what you're in the mood for. So, uh, you gotta have something and I do listen to them. I, uh, you know, I'm not a, a guy who hangs his records on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, when I'm at home, I never listen to digital music. It's always vinyl, you know, mm -hmm. in my car, whatever. Sure. But, you know, I listen to records all day at home, and uh, I don't know. It's one thing that gets me up off my ass because I got to flip the record over. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, it's. I grew up with records. You know, it was the first music media I ever purchased as a child was was uh, was a record, and it's hanging in my piercing room now. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I collect records. I uh, I watch a lot of movies, a lot of cartoons, uh, Looney Tunes. Uh, I'm a huge fan of them. I am a big Disney nerd. You know. Mm. Um, I, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I like doing fun things. I, you know, I try to dabble and keep busy. You're a fun guy, Steven. I would just want to say thank you so much for, um, again, taking the time to do this. And, um, I gotta say, I've learned so many things and, um, I, I'm just really grateful to have done this interview with you. Yeah, sure. Um, if we wanted to go see some of these drawings, where can we find you on social media? Do you have any work up on any platforms? Yeah, um, I don't have a website up right now. I tried building one, but, um, honestly, right now, uh, I'm, you know, my stuff's mostly on Instagram. You know, it's usually the best place to see it um, for the time being. There is a hashtag, Art of Von Frankenstein, and that's a pretty good way to see a lot of my stuff. But, um, you know, I've had, there's been so many platforms, you know, Tumblr and Facebook and, you know. Yeah. 
you can Google my name, it's out there. But if I'm for right now, that's usually what I focus on. It seems to be the platform I'm most comfortable with. It has its bugs and its problems, but it's easy, cool. you know, until I get an actual website up. That's usually it. Um, I've been thinking about putting out a little self-published book, but I haven't quite sat down and worked out the logistics of that yet. Very cool. More to come. More creativity to flow from Stephen Frankenstein. All right. Thank you all for tuning in for another episode of Moose Gums Podcast. Uh, next episode, I'll be meeting with Jeremy Acosta, known as Not in Triples, who just um, dropped a track on Six Nine's new album um, on track four. So um, we're going to meet the guys behind um, those beats, and Nada is actually who created the intro and the exit song to this podcast, so I'm really excited to get to know the artist behind the art in the next episode. Thanks again. Bye.